free dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. I made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. This is Sean Zock, your captain speaking. We're going to do things a little bit differently today here on the drop zone. We are going to get to Dylan to chair in a little bit, um, but the way things are going to be different is that... Dylan and I are not recording together. We are recording in two separate places. Our boy Dylan is in central Washington, uh, and he just played a little practice round today for his U.S. Open local qualifier tomorrow. Now, if you are a faithful listener, you know that generally I have caddied for Dylan, and so this is a tough rub of the green for me, but we talked about it last week. Uh, His wife Emily is going to bring him a little different flavor as a caddy and uh, we're gonna see how that works (laughs) it's definitely not as serious as I'm making it sound but Dylan is in Walla Walla um, Washington which I think it's Wine Valley Golf Golf Club that he's playing at Um, so you guys can check his scores shortly after you listen to this Um, but the point is we're gonna do things a little bit differently Um, today I have texted Dylan five questions I want him to answer. Um, They're about a lot of different things. About Tony Finau, who is your winner on the PGA Tour this week. Uh, They are about his qualifier. Uh, They're about a couple different things. Uh, And Dylan has responded by, well, not responding to those quite yet, but he has has texted me five questions for me to answer. And so kind of like, uh, you know, engaged couples do. They send questions to their... uh, their partner and um, try to get, you know, deep, deep, honest, um, genuine answers. Um, So that's, I guess, what Dylan and I are doing, as opposed to recording together today, because we're both kind of working on stuff, we're both busy. And we'll be back to our regularly programmed um, schedule next week, after the Wells Fargo Championship, which is a designated event, elevated event. Uh, there'll be a lot to talk about. But anyway, uh, Tony Finau is your winner on the PGA Tour. He beats John Rahm. I was going to take this time to talk a lot about John Rahm had he won, but he didn't win um, because he is putting together one of the greatest PGA Tour seasons of all time. And if he had won, it would have been his fifth win of the year, which is preposterous. Um, instead, he has four wins and a runner-up finish. Um which is still really good, but Tony Finau wins. Massive win for Tony to actually stare down John Rahm in the group, uh, in the final group, and actually beat him. I think is a big deal. I think a couple of Finau's wins, um, people like to poke holes through them, right? <laughs> uh, the first win came many, many years before the second win, um, and you know his his two wins uh, in the middle of last season. They both came. After the British Open, kind of when the best players in the world weren't all playing, um, just weird things of past scheduling. And Tony kind of mopped up on the, the Midwest in the middle of the summer. People just like poking holes through that stuff. Anyway, you can't poke a hole through this one when Rom is the best player in the world, playing at his absolute best. He's in the final group with you. And Fino says, no, I'm got, I got you. I'm going to beat you by four. So... Big ups to Tony. Um, we are recording a little too early to capture the end of the LPGA Tour tournament, but um, they played at Wilshire Country Club this week, which is always fun place to watch. Uh, you know, at the at the moment, 
Aditi Ashok is kind of bucking her head. We've got Nelly Korda. Well, she finished with a 67, Nelly did, but she's getting dialed in for the major championship season. Um, so, yeah, we don't have a final on the LPJ front. We have the 10 questions that Dylan and I have posed to each other. So, with Tony on the mind, let's just start with my first question for Dylan. What's up, guys? Dylan DeChair here checking in from Eastern Washington. Hopefully, Sean has explained what I'm up to by now, but... Um I sent him some questions. He sent me some questions. I have not read these, so I guess I will react in real time. And I hope you enjoy. This is kind of fun. Let's get to it. Uh, all right, questions for Dylan. Number one, is this Tony Finau a top five player in the world as Data Golf would now suggest? I'm sure you guys are familiar with Data Golf by now, but it is just a, uh, I don't know, this, the smart golf fan's destination for all things other than golf.com, of course. Um, but that's a bunch of stalling. While I say, is Tony Finau a top five player in the world? No, I don't think he's a top five player in the world right now. I think that he has shown that his peak is certainly there, that his his the best bits of his game certainly belong there. But I don't think he's there yet just because when the tournaments where he's wanted it the most, he has not brought it the most I mean he's played well in some events right he played well at the farmers he played he had solid weeks he's been solid he's been like around the top 20 top 25 but he's claimed a bunch of these you know lesser PGA Tour events the 3M the Rocket Mortgage the Houston Open like he can do it but he still needs to do it at other events to to get to that point but I mean all of that is a lot of of negativity towards a guy that just threw down in Mexico um, who really stared down the best golfer in the world, John Rahm, and, and one of his frequent playing partners at home, practice partners, sparring partners, whatever you want to call it, outperformed him in the final round. So clearly his peak is there. Um, I don't think I would quite put him there yet just because, you know, if you look at he doesn't have a top 10 at a major in the last couple of years. I think what this underscores, though, more than anything, is you have two top guys right now who are in form and uh, impressively accomplished. They have strong resumes, John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. After that, you have Rory McIlroy, who is, you know, at present, well, his whereabouts are unknown at present, I guess, and he's probably going to play well at the Wells Fargo this week. Um, but he's probably a half step behind. And then you have a bunch of guys whose resumes you can kind of poke holes in like Patrick Cantlay, obviously an incredible golfer hasn't yet really done it on the major stage at his, you know, when he's been playing his best, um, doesn't have a major you've got Xander same kind of deal actually has played some of his best golf at majors, but just hasn't gotten across the line. Uh, he's right in there. So with those guys, yeah, I think Finau involved is involved in that conversation along with those guys. But yeah, around those guys, there's a lot of people that are either not in top form right now or just don't have the career accomplishments. So like the guys that are the guys that have won majors, it's like Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, guys that are playing well but not 
their best golf. Jordan Spieth, who's been ascendant, like he he's in the at least part of that conversation right now. And then you have guys like Sung J M, Cameron Young, Victor Hovland, who are kind of defined by what they could do still rather than what they have done. Um, so yeah, I don't think Finau is quite there, but he's definitely higher than his world ranking would suggest, or at least suggest going into this week. Like he, by all means should be a top 10 player, probably have him in about the, the seven hole right now, six or seven spot. Um, and I just want to see this version of, of peak Tony when it matters most. All right, not sure what Dylan said, but uh, good answer. Good answer, Dylan. <laughs> Dylan's first question for me is, what was the biggest way your perception of Justin Thomas changed through writing a magazine story about him? It's a good question. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, just this past week, Justin Thomas turned 30 and Throughout the month prior to that, I was kind of tracking him, following him. Um, I hovered around him at the Valspar Championship at the end of March, kind of hovered around him at the Masters, um, went to one of his photo shoots, went to a golf course with him that he is uh, consulting on as a designer, Uh, and I was was hovering in JT's world um, to write the story about him. You can find it on golf.com, but basically the biggest way my perception of JT changed is that I I was amazed at his want and desire to control everything like everything um, now not not in a bad sense not control in the control freak way not control in the over controlling way but control in the I know what I want way I know what works for me kind of way and his path that he sees toward him being the best golfer he can be, which he believes and many believe could be one of the greatest golfers of all time, um, is to control every single variable. And I wrote a lot about this, but it was one of those things that just kind of stunned me is he is gluten-free, dairy-free um, for much of this year to f- fix something that was going on with his stomach. Um, and he hates it, but he has to do it. Uh, he finished every single round by going back to the range and back to the putting green. Uh, this is down at the Valspar Championship. And he basically just practiced, 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 even after playing, even after, you know, uh, Friday's late round, it's 6 or 7 p.m., he's grinding, and he's already made the cut. Um, but he is grinding because he needs to decompress, right? He didn't play the 18th hole very well. And rather than get in the car and stew on that 18th hole, he goes and he grinds uh, in the way he kind of always has. Um, What are other ways in which he is in control, right? Like I watched him work with his his clothing company, uh, Grayson. And this is not a player who is kind of letting people move around him he's the one kind of calling the shots no I really really like this look you need to make this look work for me and it needs to fit in a certain way Um, he is for sure calling the shots calling all the shots I think it was Saturday morning of the Valspar championship Um, I was just talking to Bones and then Justin shows up on the range and 
Alabama basketball had played the night before, and I I know how you know kind of crazy JT follows Alabama sports, and they had played at like nine thirty, just a little nine thirty tip off on the Eastern time, and right that's a two hour game, game would be over by eleven thirty. They were the six the one versus sixteen, so like yeah they were gonna blow them out. You probably just just have to watch the first half, but Justin didn't even watch any of it. And he's like, no man, I would have to be in a different time zone to be able to enjoy that game because I would just be running through the time that I need to sleep because I, to perform at my best, I need to be asleep between X amount of hours. Um, you know, he, he had bones, um, get him tickets for a Drake concert. This is like an exclusive concert in a airport hangar in Phoenix during the week of the Phoenix open this year, the week of the super bowl. Um, this was an exclusive Drake concert. Drake is one of Justin's favorite artists and the show just started too late. And Justin was not in contention, uh, through Saturday through three rounds and was, you know, he probably had a late morning tea time and could have easily gone to the Drake concert, got his four or five hours of sleep showed up and shot 72 because he can do that with his eyes eyes closed. Um, but he said, no, this is not the time for me to go to Drake. It's the time for me to sleep. Came out and shot 65 in the fourth round. And I think finished T5 because that's what being a pro golfer is. Um, and so I was, I guess that broke my perception because I didn't realize how, how in control JT wanted to be about everything, which was more impressive than it was alarming in any sense. All right. Second question. Taylor Gooch won Live Singapore. What does it mean? And does it mean less when he may not play in the U.S. Open or Open Championship? That's a good question, Sean. It is. What it means is that he's the first guy to win back-to-back on Live Singapore. It means... I guess it's something of a validation of, I don't know, when Taylor Gooch first left for Liv, he was the most surprising name on the list because he was he was the only guy that you couldn't really point to and say, all right, well, this guy is injured or this guy is over it or he's on the, you know, the back nine of his career. No, he was just seemingly starting to peak I mean he was in a great spot in the FedEx Cup he was a little bit of a late bloomer but definitely a bloomer um so yeah I mean he's clearly a a very good golfer and this is I mean 62 62 last week to start the tournament was a pretty clear demonstration of that um it's hard to contextualize what it means yeah he's very good at golf I think I think that there has been a bit of a confusing discussion kicking up after live golfers played well at the masters, or at least, you know, Phil and Brooks and P Reed played well at the masters of like, well, yeah, clearly some of these guys belong in the majors. Uh, But I actually thought it was interesting this week when Phil was asked about it, he kind of said, look, it's going to sort itself out. The majors are going to want to have us in there. He basically was saying, yeah, I'm not worried about it. Um, in the meantime, there's going to be some weirdness like Gooch potentially not playing either open. Yeah, he should be in there, uh, from a, from a pure, like best players in the world should be in the biggest events thing. But 
you can't just like wave a wand and make it happen. And maybe, look, I'm actually not fully uh, dialed in enough on this this rules change or alleged rules change or whatever it was that is keeping him out of the U.S. Open um, based on that exemption. But there, this was always a risk, right? Like guys that are going to live, by all means, they should they should beat their chest and say, look, we deserve to be in the majors. We deserve world ranking points, etc." But like that that still is what the money was for. Like there was always going to be a waiting period. It was always going to, um, it was always going to endanger guys chances to get into the majors that didn't have an exemption from winning one of these things in the last few years. Taylor Gooch sits squarely in that zone. Um, there's other guys that are probably in there too. Like, I mean, Neiman will get there soon as, as he kind of continues to drop down the ranking. Yeah, there are guys that will lose playing opportunities because of this, and Taylor Gooch is definitely one of them. I think the thing that they are going to have to sort out is, okay, what is it you want? Do you want Liv to get world ranking points? Do you want some sort of specific Liv exemption? Um, the answer is probably more in the world ranking points for Liv area but then you know how open are they to making these changes i don't know this is just a lot of of useless speculation this is probably why i normally need a co-host to to tell me to stop but uh what it means is the u.s open and open championship may be missing one of Liv's best golfers and that further underscores the weirdness of professional golf right now all right, question number two from Dylan to Sean is, it's starting to feel like summer. What part of your summer in Scotland are you most nostalgic for? All right, so, gosh, if you don't know that I spent last summer in Scotland, you are new to the drop zone, so welcome. But uh, I spent 2022 summer, June through August, in Scotland, in St. Andrews, and the part of that summer that I am most nostalgic for as I literally write a book about it and think about it uh, every waking hour, uh, are the vibes in St. Andrews, which is a very generic thing. (laughs) Uh, I miss the vibes. But um, I've never lived there in the winter, and I know it can get kind of dreary in St. Andrews and in Scotland because there's not a whole lot of daylight. But the vibe during the summer is just happiness. It is freedom because the days are so long. Truly, truly waking up uh, between 4 and 5 a.m. because it is seagulls squawking like crazy outside um, and going for runs at 9.40 p.m. because it is still daylight. Um, There are so many people smiling in St. Andrews in the summertime. Now, this is the golf mecca, so you have so many uh, visiting golfers that are just so happy to be there and experience the home of golf, but... um, yeah, it's the people drinking beer on the veranda um, at, you know, the Dunvegan or um, the people sitting behind the 18th green just being happy watching golfers be happy <laughs> finish out the round that they've been dreaming of thinking about forever. Uh, it's the people that are, you know, spending the night on the concrete trying to get into the singles queue that I found at five in the morning grinning ear to ear they're they they pulled the pillow and 
comforter from the local hotel that they were staying in out onto the concrete and they are grinning ear to ear because that is the day that they will end up playing St. Andrews in a memory that they will uh, think of forever. Um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of happiness there and it's, it becomes so infectious because it's so ever present. It's in the cafes and it's in the pubs and the bookstores. And I am nostalgic for that because I just walked into town every single day. Um, as long as I was in town, you know, I bounced down to the live event and I bounced down to Muirfield and over to North, uh, uh, North Ireland for around at Portrush. So I wasn't in St. Andrews for 90 full days, but I was probably in St. Andrews for like 65 or 70 and, um, just walked to the city center and walked to the old course every single day. And there were a lot of days where there's just happy people strumming around. So definitely nostalgic for that. Question three, Phil Mickelson was leading the live event for a minute this week. Ooh. He slowed down in the final round, but the guy looks to be playing well. He finished T2 at the Masters. He's become this health nut. He's 52, but has 182-mile-per-hour ball speed when he's going after it. Where are you on the believe meter Could Phil win another major? Yeah. I mean, if you finish T2 at a major, that means you can win a major, right? And it still feels like the Masters would be his most his, his best chance to win a major. Um, do I think he will win a major? Like, over under 0.5 majors under, I mean, hard, hard under there's so many good golfers, um, who are not 52, but as far as 52 year olds go, like there's nothing from, there's nothing about his golf swing that is at risk. I mean, the, the way he played, the way he has played when he's been on, uh, most specifically Sunday at the masters underscores just how dialed in he can still be. Uh, he seems to be locked back in. Yeah, I think it's hard to do it for... It's hard for him to focus. That's been true for the last five years. True for the last, you know... He's talked about that for a long time now. And I think that that may come not necessarily from like age, but just from playing so many, so many freaking golf tournaments in his career. They're like, okay, how do you get up for another one? And yeah, it actually kind of makes sense that he would get up for the Masters after missing last year's, after being, uh, I don't know, an outcast in certain portions of the golf world. Like It makes sense that he would play this Masters extra focused with a chip on his shoulder and move all the way up the leaderboard with, a, with Jordan Spieth by his side and kind of an incredible Sunday at the Masters. But... Yeah, I mean, based on ball speed and based on uh, potential of his iron game, he could win another major. It still feels really unlikely. All right, question number three. You are PGA Tour Commissioner, Commissioner Zach, and your task is picking a new location for a PGA Tour event. What is on your wish list? Um, I've got one place on my wish list and uh i'm not going to answer this like some pie in the sky unrealistic scenario i'm going to treat this uh, as realistically as possible because um i actually think it could happen but i'm going to one location one new location dylan will be thrilled to hear this 
I'm going to Chambers Bay. I'm going to Seattle, Tacoma, um, where I believe there is a like a really, really strong contingent of golf fans. Um, I think the PGA Tour does a pretty good job job at, at checking the boxes for the the golf contingent cities across the country. We have so many tournaments in Texas, Florida, California, Arizona, Nevada. Uh, we go to Chicago this year. I don't think there will be next year, um, but there's just just always an event in in every really golf crazed area in the country. I think except for the Pacific Northwest and. Well, we certainly saw that during the 2015 U.S. Open, but um, the realistic part of this is you have to go to a place that you could fit into the schedule, right? If if Commissioner Zock is looking at the current schedule, doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to make uh, the Travelers Championship move, and doesn't want to to piss off the the Volspar Championship tournament director, and so there's got to be space in the calendar, and there's got to be. Uh, you know, a demand from the locals, and there's got to be a reason that we could go there that time of year. Chambers is tough. You can't go there in January um, or February and probably not yet March um, and probably not maybe April. Um, you could go there in May, June, July, August, and you could go in there in September. And so I'm going to Chambers Bay in September. If you look at the PJ Tour schedule – what we're going to work with moving forward is this January through August um, calendar-based schedule, right? We're going to start in Hawaii in January. We're going to end in Atlanta at the end of August for the Tour Championship. And then we're not going to screw around with competing with football. But there is going to be a fall series. And it's always going to start with um, – I believe it's going to always start with the Fortnite Championship in Napa in middle of September. And now the way the schedule kind of is going to, it's going to have a break around the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup's going to have um, space in front of it most years, like this year. That's where I want us to go to Chambers Bay because Chambers Bay is a you know a puddle jump without much of a puddle from Napa uh, just up to Tacoma. I mean that's probably a you know a ninety minute flight at the most. Um, and so it makes sense. And adding a new event to the calendar <clears throat> cannot, um, it's not going to attract the, the biggest names in the world, and, and we don't have to. Fortinet Championship doesn't attract the biggest names in the world as it is. So you're probably going to take the field from Fortinet and say, hey, you want some more of those you know, fall FedEx Cup points? Go on up to Chambers Bay and play one of the best public courses in the country. Um, I think the best Muni Beth Page included in the country, um, and it would it would be such a great way to kind of cap the really um, I don't know it w- it would be such a good way to cap the Seattle golf year to host you know we're talking like September twenty first to twenty fifth kind of uh, time frame and um, I have a feeling the golf architecture nuts on uh, on tour would eventually kind of take to that. And um, I think if if done right, it's a course that photographs and uh, broadcasts extremely well. It's a course that's pretty beloved by, by uh, corners of the internet, that's for sure. Um, beloved by me and Dylan. So Commissioner Zock, 
We're going to the Pacific Northwest annually every single year. Question for Akshay Batia finished solo fourth this week. Insane talent, right? Yes, insane talent. More like insane flow, Sean adds. Capital flow, just to kind of underscore that. Where does his hair rank on tour? Is it atop the list? Who else would be top three? Oh, man, maybe I should have read these questions ahead of time. Um, man, I feel like Robert Rock always used to get thrown in that discussion, but he's not exactly like... He's more of like a, a DP World Tour legend than than a full-time PGA Tour player. Um, same thing with with Ollie Schneiderjans, who I'm not sure what he's up to, but he always had a nice mop that he would wouldn't cover up with a hat. I mean, if you look down the list up top, it's a lot of guys that keep it pretty high and tight, like Rom and Rory and Xander. Those guys are all going short on the sides these days like no one's really letting it flow Cameron Smith is not on tour so he wouldn't really qualify but I mean like Victor Hovland could grow a nice mullet but he 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 doesn't really Colin Morikawa he you know when he takes his hat off and when he goes to some kind of event like he's he's definitely got it styled up so I got it. You got to go pretty far down the list here, to be honest with you. This is certainly not good audio. Tommy Fleetwood is in there at number twenty-five. I mean, it, certainly if you're if you're into that kind of Aragorn medieval knight vibe, Fleetwood's got to be right up there for you. Um, you know, Jason Day's always had a, a nice head of hair. Looks, uh, but again, just not someone that's really fully growing it out, not exploring the full potential. I don't know, guys. I'm just scanning down the world rankings here and and not feeling particularly inspired. So maybe this is a crisis. Maybe this is what Sean's getting to is like it, within the top 100 in the world, there's just not that many guys that are letting it flow. Like, People are just keeping it high and tight under the hats. You don't even really know what's going on beyond that. And it's only if you like win a tournament or put out on 18 and go to shake other guys' hands that that's when you see, you know, the, the hat tan, the hair, the possible lack of hair. So I don't know. We got to get back to this. All right. Question number four. Gosh, I have no idea if my answers are a lot longer than Dylan's, but I I anticipate maybe they are because I've been rambling on. But question number four from Dylan to Sean is, who are the third and fourth most likely golfers to win the PGA Championship? No other context provided by Dylan, so we can only assume that the first and second most likely golfers in his mind would be John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. Rahm being one, Scheffler being two. I think that's fair. Who are three and four? Spieth. Jordan Spieth is number three for me. Uh, should have won. <laughs> uh, he should have won at Harbortown. Did not. Um, but he has been trending. Played extremely well in Augusta. Played well before Augusta. Um, we try to read the tea leaves with this guy and we try to understand how in the hell he gets the ball in the hole. Um, 
so often while also making it look so hard. And uh, I've just stopped trying to do that. I, I feel like when his game tracks, when he finds himself not missing any cuts and just really, really leaving it all on the putter, eventually the putter's going to hit. So what I mean by I say that is like, Tita Green, Jordan Spieth is extremely, extremely, extremely good right now. And the best years of his career uh, outside of that, you know, epic first year have always been Tita Green fantastic. One of the best ball strikers on the planet. Um, I believe it was 20, maybe 2017. He was, I think, number one in strokes gained approach. Uh, it was just a sign that, like, hey, man, my putting's not good right now. My short game is good, not great. And off the tee, I'm also good, not great. Um, putter's not good. Ball striking's incredible. And I think that that kind of speed is returning. Um, and he's trending. He hasn't won yet. I actually didn't want him to win at Harbortown because he's won before the PGA Championship in the past. And then he kind of puts this big target on his back because he's trying to – Finish the career Grand Slam. Um, so, Spieth number three. Number four, Taylor Gooch. I'm, I'm totally kidding. Uh, it's not Taylor Gooch, even though he has won two live tournaments in a row. Um, those happen in the middle of the night. I don't even know if they, they actually did happen. Who knows? Um, but number four is it's probably Patrick Cantley, and I don't love saying that because I don't love the vibes around Patrick Cantley right now. I think that... Um, if he gets into the final group at – well, actually, I hope he gets into the, the, the penultimate group at the PGA Championship because that will put a greater focus on his pace. And I think there is a – there's a collective uh, – there's a, there's, a, there's a collective mass of attention being paid to Patrick Cantley's pace at the moment. And it's not good. We've talked about it on here. It's been talked about all over the internet. And he's even talked about it. And he doesn't sound like he's going to change. And the PJ Tour doesn't sound like it's going to change. And so I want Patrick Cantlay. He's, he sure is good. <laughs> he's damn good enough to win the PJ Championship. I want him in, in the penultimate group because it will, it will really put a magnifying glass on what we define by slow play. Um who's behind him will kind of dictate what it looks like um, when we look at them and they're playing behind Patrick Cantlay. Whoever he plays with will help decide uh, how Patrick Cantlay looks, you know, playing in the same group. And I'm not looking for him to be broken uh, down by this at all, but I just, I think it would be um, collateral damage that we could address an issue while he contends because he's that good. He is damn good. He is probably the fourth most likely player to win the PGA championship. Um, at least the way I currently see it. So, uh, I, that was not a question about pace of play or anything, but it would, um, I would enjoy that being the result of whatever's going to come from Oak Hill. Give us a specific prediction. This is question five. Give us a specific prediction. Just like we've asked pros before their tournaments. Oh boy. The local qualifier is finished. This is referring to my U S open local qualifier tomorrow. What did you shoot? Where did you finish? And how slash why did it go the way that it did? Oh, God. Maybe this is like, maybe we shouldn't ask pros this because I'm like, I don't really want to answer this right now. Um, here's the thing. 
I'm in this weird zone with these events where I have now, I now play like one competitive round of golf per year and I would like to play more, but I don't know. (laughs) There's other stuff going on. I have a lot of fun doing these, but I'm sort of stuck in the zone between like, oh yeah, it's all good. No expectations, just here to have a good time. And then being like, all right, I need to show up with an alpha mentality, summon some cockiness, some some confidence, like look around and really say, all right, I, I believe that I'm one of the best golfers at this qualifier and then go play like it. So I'm kind of stuck in between those two things. And I think that's why it can get frustrating is because like if I don't play well, which I haven't the last couple times out, you know, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, no, no, you didn't play well. Like you never play competitive golf. You don't play golf period often enough to have higher expectations than this. Also, it'd be like, it's more or less like going and playing in a Monday qualifier and being like, all right, here's the, here's the verdict on your golf game for the year. So I don't know. It's silly to have expectations, but at the same time I've got expectations and uh i think i should be leaning into that so par is 72 um played today over there it's firm it's an interesting test uh yeah a lot of a lot more filibustering here but i'm gonna say i'm shooting two under par 70 which gets me through in the fourth spot and uh just really satisfying satisfying behavior just time to get ready for sectionals man yeah let's do that let's go shoot a couple under and see where it lands us 18 is a par five downhill certainly not an easy hole but if if you hit a good drive you're in position and so maybe i'll make a birdie there get to two under punch my ticket see you guys next week see you guys when i'm through to the next round if I'm not, appreciate you being here to have a, a shoulder to cry on. And uh, I'm going to think more about this hair question because because we're just at a little bit of a loss. Final question from Dylan to Sean. How many golfers have we seen at John Rahm's current level since Tiger Woods? Um, none. The actual answer is none, no one at his current level. I think his current level is the highest we've seen since Tiger Woods. Um, Data Golf, the very trustworthy website, uh, golf analytics website, they have an all-time ranking. They put every player who's ever really competed and been worthy of ranking, We put they put them in a ranking of their absolute peaks. You know, they're rolling best version of themselves in their career and John Rahm's is fourth on the list Tiger Woods is number one on the list uh Vijay Singh is number two on the list and David Duvall is number three on the list John Rahm is four um which means that he's been better than peak Rory peak DJ peak Jason Day peak uh, Justin Thomas peak Finau Xander Cantlay um yeah Better than peak everyone else. So no one at this current level. That's the answer. However, uh, I will take that question in the direction of 
um, what I think Dylan intended is like how many people have felt as inevitable as Rom currently feels um, since Tiger was inevitable, right? Like uh, when Tiger became two to one odds or, you know, you're, you're basically betting Tiger or the field at some of these tournaments and particularly majors. Uh, absolute lunacy if you think about it, but it existed. That's what Tiger Woods was. He was inevitable. And so Rom feels inevitable now because he just played in a tournament in which he entered at plus 240, basically two to one odds, uh, a tournament that, you know, had a couple big names in it, Tony Finau being one of them. It was kind of ironic that the only other top 20 player uh, in the field is, is the one who beat Rom. That is something for the analytics heads to pay attention to. Um, so Rom entered this event, finished second, floated around shooting a couple good, like solid under par rounds the first two days, then shoots 61, should have been a 60, launches up the leaderboard, gets himself into the final pairing or final grouping. And um, that's what just, that's what John Rom has done during weeks in which he hasn't won this year. He's inevitable, nulling up, call him a, a buoy because you cannot stink him. You cannot put your hands down on top of the buoy and keep it under the water it will shake its way out of your grasp and it will be back up at the <laughs> at the surface that is john rom so who else has felt truly inevitable since tiger i actually don't think rory has ever felt inevitable i think he was getting close to feeling inevitable this year and you could argue that he felt inevitable when he won the PGA Championship at Valhalla in 2014. Um, that feels super distant and maybe is clouded by all the context of what Rory has done since, which is not win a major. But that peak was, I, was just still not as good as the three people who have felt as inevitable as Rom currently feels since Tiger. It's Jordan Spieth in 2015, Jason Day, sneaky, in 2015, and then Dustin Johnson, kind of invariably. Um, but I think peak, peak, peak DJ was maybe 20, God, was it 2017. Whatever year he won back-to-back -back events in the spring and was rolling into the Masters and then apparently rolled down the stairs. Um, that was peak DJ, and he felt inevitable. And if you look at his finishes before those wins and around those wins, it was T3, T2, 2, T3. That's the kind of – that's what I think of when I think of inevitability. It's like, okay, you might not want, win every single tournament, and you may not win at a pace like Tiger Woods won at. You might be close. You won't do it like Tiger Woods did, but you can beat 142 out of 144, right? You can look at a field of 80, and you can beat 79 of them. Um, that is the inevitability that John Rahm has right now. Um, Jason Day had it at the end of 2015. He made it – he maybe made it look more dominant. He won a couple tournaments by like five and – six and that's that was scary because <laughs> he drove it the best in the world and then putted it the best in the world at the same exact time and people have done that for a week bryson did it for one week at the u.s open in 2020 
Um, but Jason Day kind of did it for basically two full months, and that was scary. Um, and then Spieth was Spieth 2015, never forget it, chasing the, the Grand Slam um, at St. Andrews. He had won the first two majors of the year. He, you know, there was an, inev- an inevitability to him beating DJ at Chambers Bay um, that just kind of took over. And then St. Andrews, like, he did everything he could do to not be there. He four-putted on Sunday. And then he still was there. He still had a chance um, that with one good approach shot on 18 or on 17 at the old course at St. Andrews, Spieth is in the four-man playoff. <laughs> he makes it a four-man playoff with Zach Johnson, Louis Oosthuizen, and Mark Leishman. Do you think any of those dudes are taking out peak Jordan Spieth? I don't think so. So, anyway, that is uh, the 10th question. I have no clue how long this podcast took. I have no clue how long Dylan took. I'm guessing shorter than me. Uh, but thank you for listening. This was fun. We might have to do this more often. I think... Uh, well, it'll be a nightmare for our editor. John, we love you, but um, I don't know. I had fun with it. Made me feel like a real radio host. Thanks for listening to The Drop Zone. Back to our uh, regularly scheduled programming next week. And gosh, if Dylan makes sectional qualifying, you guys need to find him on Twitter and congratulate him. Pick the kid up. See you soon. <laughs>